Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Let me tell you about Michael Feely. Michael is a former United Kingdom police officer and now ancient code breaker who has written several books on various subjects. He is currently adapting his work to cater to a younger audience and will soon have a series of children's books out there to teach their next generation many truths that were not being taught anyplace else. Michael is a Multiple paranormal UFO experiencer has had personally witnessed dimensional portals opening up right before him, emanating unorthodox craft, and has had numerous UFO sightings himself, receiving telepathic invites to attend certain locations, and has seen an ET being face-to-face. We'll talk about that as well. And here he is on Coast to Coast. Michael, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, George. Uh, absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. And thank you for your service as a police officer. Well, well, thank you. It's, uh, that's not often said, but, but thanks for that. I appreciate it. How did you make the transition from being a police officer to what we're going to be talking about tonight? Well, I, I consider the, the police force uh, my first marriage. Uh, it was something that I'd, I'd always wanted to do from a, a very sort of young age, from a teenager. And it took me a long time to actually get into to that occupation. It probably took me about seven or eight years to actually be accepted and to actually join the service. And people don't enter a marriage in, in order to get divorced. No, so as far that's as true. I, you know, as far, as far as I was concerned, uh, I was going to be there for the rest of my working life. In just eight years from now, I would have been retired, and that would have been my working life finished. But things began to happen around about the, especially the year 2009. And it's quite apparent that these things were timed. And regardless of what I was going to be doing, regardless of what I was doing, these things were going to happen anyway. And it was very, very concentrated around the year 2009. And I was having so many, sometimes daily or nightly, uh, paranormal or strange events that were happening to me. And often to me and my wife and friends who we were with at the time. We would also have had have, have multiple sightings of these things. And I was seeing you know, all kinds of craft, uh, gigantic UFO cigar-shaped craft in the sky. I was seeing Jeez. dimensional gateways open up, uh, literally just opening up and seeing craft coming out of them. I was seeing all kinds of different shapes and sizes of craft day and night. I was receiving sort of strange messages saying, we're not here to rescue you, we're here to help you to rescue yourselves. Uh, for anyone who's has ever seen the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Great movie. Uh, what, one of my, you know, one of my favourite movies, uh, the, the cast of that movie were getting messages they didn't realise at the, at the time, but they were actually getting messages to be at a certain location at a certain time. And that was happening to me as well. But not only was that happening to me, it happened to my wife and two friends where we were all getting invites or we, we, we had this, this, this internal urge that we needed to be at this certain place, which just happened to be a set of four-star monoliths on top of a hill about 300 feet in, 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 the, in the air. And we all had the, the same feeling at the same time that we needed to be there the next evening. And of course we were. And there were certain you know, telepathic instructions of what to do when we got there. I was shown visions of what was going to happen, and that is exactly what played out on that particular evening. Uh, But I've seen, as I say, ETs face 
face, six foot three, black eyes, uh, and an energy field that I've that I've never experienced before and, and never experienced since. Part of my what I class as, as as my awakening, which I now call the event, involved time travel. Uh, not not a physical time travel, but it was sort of a, a quantum entanglement where my my consciousness had a targeted interaction between the viewer and the target, and that so happened to be in the year 1850, which was Victorian England, when I was taken back to the scene of a crime. And there's, there's all strange things going on. There was poltergeist activity. There was six-foot double-glazed windows uh, just, just shattering from the inside in my house. I would have attempted possessions of my body. And it, it turned out to, to be this young girl who'd been murdered in Victorian England. Jeez. And she basically wanted us to, to look into her... Into a, a death, which is which is what she 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 asked and told us. So it was all around about the the, the year two thousand and nine, where my my life was completely flipped three sixty, and because of all of these strange paranormal, for want of a better expression, it was all happening around that time. And as I say, it would have all been timed. And naturally, when all these things start to happen to people, you you question why me, and I did question why me, and. It's, it's been a number of years before I received the answer. And the answer to the question, why me, was you were, you were meant for this work, but first you had to be a part of it to know what you were learning about to help others. So in other words, I had to personally experience these things in order to be able to talk to them about them and, and in order to be able to help other people to get through them. Was it a dramatic change for you, Michael? It was it was exceptionally dramatic. As I say, I, I never intended to ever leave the career that had taken me so long to actually get into uh, a career that had basically taken over my life. It, it really was a, a marriage. I, I absolutely loved that career. I loved that occupation, and I was frontlining in England's two major cities, and I dealt with all levels of crime. Uh, I was uh, a routine patrol officer, so I'd deal with emergencies, I'd deal with non-emergencies, I'd be first at the scene of major incidents, hostage situations, homicides, uh, and after coordinated, I'd, I'd sort of had to investigate things and, and follow where the evidence leads. I was well awarded for my career, uh, bravery awards, many, many different accolades, mm -hmm. many different awards. I was sort of uh, classed as a, an expert eyewitness in any court in the United Kingdom. And I did that occupation for 17 years, which is a large a large proportion of anyone's life. Sure is. And as I say, in, in, in eight years from now, uh, I would have been retired. Did you share these experiences that you had with other police officers? Yes. Uh, some some of the officers actually witnessed uh, some, some of the events with me. Uh, and one such event was, well, there's a couple of events. Well, one of them was a, a, a night duty when we saw a gigantic ball of fire. And I actually thought, because it was only sort of three, three or four miles away from a, an international airport, I, I thought it was a, an aeroplane on fire. It was a gigantic ball of fire that, that had the same trajectory out of my head twice. And I took a picture of, of this, and it, it bore no resemblance to a gigantic ball of fire. Uh, the, the photograph looked completely different. Ironically, just a couple of weeks later, the uh, police helicopter was followed back to the airport by a gigantic ball of fire, and that was in the same region of sky. And they were refused permission to land.
respond until this gigantic ball of fire had left. And another another one of these incidents was again on night duty with many other officers where there was a, a potential landing. There was lots and lots of strange things going on in the sky. There was a really, really sort of eerie, we're not in control feeling. Mm-hmm. We were having streetlights over a, a mile or so region just switching off. We were having underground explosions Jeez. with electricity surges. We were having members of the public calling up saying that there were shadows and intruders in their, in their rear garden. And of course, when we got there, there was nothing. As soon as we left the property, they would call back and say that these shadow these shadows were in the garden again. And it was the same evening that uh, when I returned down from night duty, and I was reporting this to a local UFO group who I'd had interaction with, uh, my emails were removed, seemingly copied and put back. And from that point on, for a number of, of months, my phones were tapped. And I think it turned out to be GCHQ, which is the, the government communication headquarters wow. who were uh, sort of monitoring that they we actually found or a telephone engineer found an anomaly in the uh, the feeder, the, the, the box that found the phone system right yeah. my house. Uh, yeah, and they found an anomaly inside that box outside my house. So as a result of what I was seeing, as a result of my occupation at the time, I was, uh, I was being monitored by uh, sort of government agencies. As, as to Were you initially forced out as a police officer or you just decided it's time to move on on my own? I wasn't forced out. I was, I was getting very, very despondent at, at, at some of the things that I was witnessing. I was seeing uh, the increasing politics in, in, in the police service. I was seeing politics to such an extent that I wasn't able to do the job that I joined to do. Uh, I, I joined to help people and, and the politics were stifling that. But I, was, I wasn't forced out, even though I was becoming very despondent. What, what sort of turned it for me was all of these incidences that, that, that were going on. And you know, the, 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 the uh, time travel event, the, the conscious entanglement that took my consciousness back uh, and we might viewed a murder, in effect, it was so traumatic that it took me six months to really get over that. And it took me six months before I was comfortable switching the light off in the bedroom at night. Wow. And my wife was witness to, to that event as well. She was witness to me coming back and, and screaming hysterically as if under attack. I vividly remember going back to an old sort of wooden, creaky bedroom. And I vividly remember the perpetrator coming into the room and the voice of a young girl saying, he's here. And at that point, that is when 159 years previously in my time, however, in the quantum field, in the quantum world, Time is infinite, so there is no separation between past, now, and future. It is all one continuous snapshot. So I had entered somebody else's time event, which to me was 159 years previous, but to them it was still happening. And I had, in effect, witnessed the last moments of someone's life. And I brought that back to this time, where it took me six months uh, to get over the trauma of that. Michael, our colleague David Scott, radio host, uh, has described you as the real Da Vinci Code. Tell us about that. Yes, that was very nice. It's uh, it's one of my all-time favourite movies, the the Da Vinci Code. Uh, what 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 he meant by that is, what I do now, I take 17 years of investigative training, and I apply that to the ancient world, to the monuments and the monoliths of the world, and also that takes me into religious scripture, 
particularly Christianity, which is a fascination. When I go to the cathedral or the church or I read a biblical scripture, I get a completely different meaning to that which is taught. Anybody who knows the, the plot of the Da Vinci Code, it's a, it's a character, Robert Langdon, who, who has this, this kind of innate knowledge, this, this sort of hidden knowledge that, that he understands the codes, he understands the real meaning of, of, of the teachings. And why that comment was made uh, by Dave was because that, that's exactly what I do. I'm really a, a Robert Langdon that looks into what the church is not teaching. Because in the, the hidden messages that are not being taught, that is where the, the, the true sanctity is. That is where the true sacred knowledge is hidden. And it's hidden within metaphors, it's hidden within codes, and it's hidden within pictorial messages. What are some of the things, Michael, you decoded? Well, I've decoded the true identity of religious characters. I've decoded the true meaning of religious stories. Now, for argument's sake, let's look at Moses. What does it mean? At the age of six and seven, I used to watch The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Oh, great movie. I liked it, too. It was. And at the age of six and seven, I was watching that, questioning, having adult conversations. Can somebody really do this? How can they do this? Is, is this story real? Are other stories real? And it turns out that the scripture is really a script, and it's hiding in the hidden metaphor. Now, the story of Moses is when we follow our thelema, our spiritual will, our Moses, it takes us to the promised land, which is enlightened consciousness. It is the Christ temple, which is inside the Golgotha, the head. Now, in order to get from, the, from, from captivity, which is the... the off in the Kabbalah, which is the abyss, which is the lower dimensions, which is the, the, the lower chakras, we have to follow that spiritual will through the path of least resistance. That path of least resistance is known in Gnosticism as the open sea. That is the parting of the Red Sea of Moses. It is the, the path of least resistance to get to our Christ consciousness, the temple of Christ. We get to the temple of Christ through Jacob's ladder, which is the spine. And we do that through certain practices that the ancients use, these, these gigantic monoliths and monuments that, to, to action. And these codes are everywhere, aren't they? The, these codes, literally, people will probably see about a thousand of these codes each day. But because, because they are enshrined in these codes, it means that it confuses the uninitiated. And what I mean by uninitiated are those who have not been taught how to interpret the metaphors and the codes correctly. And this goes through the whole of all religions, and there is a saying that a tree by any other name is still a tree. In other words, all of these different gods, all of these different religious characters, you can go from Christianity to Islam to Judaism to Sikhism, to all of these different religions, but what I found is they all are referring to the same metaphor. The only, the only thing that has ever changed is the names of their God. So you can have Jesus in Christianity, mm -hmm. you can have Muhammad and Allah in Islam, you can have Vishnu, Krishna in all of these different religions, Buddha. you can have Yahweh. Uh, they, are, they are all a metaphor for enlightenment. And when you look at the like of Christ, that is really talking about our own Christ potential, our own Christ consciousness. And that is achieved by the awakening of the dragon. Why a code, Michael? Why a code? Why not just blanket and put it out there for us 
Instead, they hide that. And if we didn't have people like you who could decode these things, we may never, ever find out what they are. Well, what they're doing is, is uh, hidden communication. So not only are they protecting this sacred knowledge, but they are communicating with other members of their organization this sacred information. Now, the initiates, the people who are chosen, and this goes all the way back to the ancient mystery schools of Egypt, the people who are chosen to understand this knowledge will understand this knowledge through their interpretation of the codes. The, the people who are chosen to know this sanctity, who are chosen to know this sacred knowledge, will understand the codes because they've been taught how to interpret them. So it's a hidden language going on in, in public view. And we, we see that in movies, in, in pop culture, uh, we, with certain hand symbols and gestures. We see that in automobile logos, in company brand logos, with the sacred geometry of their, their brand names. We see all of this hidden code, which also has a vibration, because they understand that, as humans, we came from, from the quantum field, which is all possibility, and we came into matter as a three-dimensional frequency. And most people in, in, this, in this reality will have a familiar past and a predictable future because their life is programmed to look outside of themselves. And, that is why it is, and that's why it's said that the kingdom of God is within you because everything that you could possibly need is inside your own temple. But by making you look outside of yourself at these icons, you are going to an outside world which gives you a chemical fix outside of yourself. That then becomes a drug, and you will identify with certain groups, with certain religions, with certain football teams, etc., because you are having that outer world chemical fix. And they understand that. They understand how people need to focus on the wave, which is the all possibility of the, of the unified field, and not on matter, not on the five senses. But they are keeping people locked within this three-dimensional frequency by making them live in the past and leave it in a predictable future which comes from the past. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.